Gary and Joni, you can join us up here if you don't mind, and we will we'll do the uh, passing of the baton. I, I just thought it was ingenious uh, because as a pastor, I never want to separate uh, the church, the local church, from the mission. And come on up, please. You didn't know my you didn't know she was singing, okay. That was a secret. We blew it. Uh, box of Kleenex, please. You might need more of that before the night is out, the day is out. Miss Melissa is in children's church. Uh, transition happens a lot in church, and, and uh, Miss Brooke is making transition today. She's getting married to Mr. Colby, and so she's saying goodbye to the children this morning while we're saying goodbye over here. And, uh, and then tonight, uh, Ben and Daniel will be saying goodbye, and they'll be saying goodbye. And uh, we have someone who's going to be kind of helping us. The whole staff is going to kind of take over and uh, fill in until January. But Brooke had to get married, so she's taking responsibilities, getting a job, insurance, life, stress. Pray for Miss Brooke. She's done a phenomenal job. If you can let her hear it, go ahead and give God praise for Miss Brooke Friddle, who... And this is, uh, this is not ordinarily how it, it goes, okay, protocol-wise. Uh, normally they have time to some, say goodbye and all, but she got her job, and she said, Pastor, could I please just go quickly? And I said, uh, yes, yes, we, we want to bless you. We don't want to hinder you from being blessed. So that's what happened with Brooke. And that's why Melissa's in the back. But this couple is here, and they are heading out. I want to read this. And it says, uh, with God's blessing, Oak Grove Assembly sends the Doris family into the mission of God into the Fiji Islands. Not one. How many? Over 300 islands. So each one will have 100 islands to pastor. And it says, it says, with love, Pastor Ron and Melissa Moran and the Oak Grove family. We know you love this couple. We know you love this family. And uh, and so we want to pass this baton to them. I want you to stand. If you would, we're going to do this, and we're going to give the biggest shout and the praise of glory for God's accomplishment in their life. They're going to share the vision. Who wants to take it? You want to take it? But Okay, Dad, get up in the front, and uh, you know how it is. You, you, yeah. So in the name of Jesus, go. Come on, Old Grove. Let's give God praise. Hey, hey, we love you. If there's some way we can pray for you guys and the Julians at the end, is that going to be me? We'll pray for the Julians and them at the end. You may be seated. Take it away, bro. Okay. So now that everything's all confused and messed up and I'm already tearing up, we're going to move on. Now, that song has meant a lot to me, and I've wanted her to sing it for a long time, and she hasn't ever before today. And I didn't know. So, of course... We were going to do this, and then she sang. So when she started, I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. So as we were, you know, kind of starting our packing, um, once we filled up our first crate with Oak Grove T-shirts, I realized something's going to have to give here. Um, we can't just take Oak Grove T-shirts, but um, we wanted to take family with us. And so we reached out to a, an awesome family member here who's here today and um, ask her to do this for us. And so 
we're going to show you this little bit of oak grove that we're taking with us. Okay. Well, I we're going to get it eventually. This is how oak grove works, right? So it's it's thin so that we can actually have it and use it and keep oak grove with us. And so just a few of the years that um, we've been able to share. <laughs> Yeah, we're still taking plenty to wear also, but um, this helps it to not take up the whole crate. But the neat thing in this is I know that um, Betty prayed over this the whole time she was making it, but she also said that if you'll look at the stitching, as you get to the middle, the stitching gets a little tighter. And she said there's going to be time. They get a little tight. They get a little hard. It's a good thing I'm not preaching. We'd be here all night. But that's what our family's for. So when we get into that tight area, we know we've got you guys covering us and helping us. And then towards the bottom, it gets back, you know, because we know we're going to make it. We're going to make it through one step at a time and with you guys behind us. And so we just want to say thank you guys. Take this. All right. Well, it's nothing like all that excitement to get you started, huh? All right, so um, I'm going to get my crying over with now. That way I don't do it later, but no, I'm kidding. I'm, my goal is to not cry today, so um, if I do, you know, just know that it was probably inevitable. Um, but anyway, first of all, I want to thank all of you guys. I want to thank Oak Grove as a family, pastor, specifically I want to thank you. Um, I lasted about four seconds. <laughs> But um, this body has invested in me and my family, and I truly appreciate that, and it's important to us. Um, we would not be doing it without this, the people in this church. And so um, it's just an honor to be able to stand before you and say that we're moving on to the next step. As sad as it is, as, as much as in mourning we are, we also know that part of doing um, ministry is What's next? Who's next? Where are we going next? Right? Because ministry never stops. I want you to know, pastor does not have an off day ever. Right? There is always, we could just be hanging out. There's always somebody needing to talk to pastor. He's always going somewhere to do something for the kingdom. And so ministry never stops. And so, you know, this Ministry that we've had here has been one of the biggest honors of our life. Even though we're in the basement, and some of you in here probably don't even know who I am because we don't get out of the basement often. So there, You guys are like, who is that guy standing up there that they're giving the microphone? Usually we're in the basement with the kids, and I'm doing magic tricks or puppets or getting slime dumped on my head, and it was all worth it, and I would all do it all again, except the slime part. We can do the, we, you can slime Joni all you want, right? But, um, but, you know, today is symbolic, this passing the baton. Um, 
And as Joni and I and Quinlan, we move forward to this next adventure that God has for us, we want to take this time to remind you of the importance of discipleship. Discipleship is becoming a lost art. And the reason it's becoming a lost art is because it takes time and sacrifice, and you're going to have to give up something in order to disciple someone else. And as society evolves, that becomes less and less and less a priority for you to take on someone else. And so I'm going to talk to you today about discipleship and the importance of training up the next generation. Joni and I, since before we met, have always worked with youth and children. My first job out of college was working at a boys and girls club here in Springfield where I, we mentored youth and children. And so we've we've all every job I've ever had had to do with youth and children. And so the next generation is very important to us. Discipling that next generation is super important because our ministry, Joni and I and Quinlan, our ministry is a direct result of discipleship by this church. This church is where I learned what discipleship is. From the people in this room is where we learned how to do the things we do and the investment that you guys have put into us. And so um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. What he's saying here is that you cannot be a Christian and not want to tell others about what Christ has done for you. You cannot go on this journey called Christianity and not want to bring people along with you. I'm sure you can all think of people right now in your minds that you want to bring along with you that may be resistant to coming, right? But if you could beat them and drag them, you would. Okay? And then the definition of discipleship is one who is convinced, accepts, and assists in the spreading of the gospel. The assist part is where we often forget what discipleship actually is. It's one thing to convert someone. It's another thing to convert them to the point where now they're sharing in the ministry. Discipleship is not just converting. Discipleship is now how do I get them involved? How do I get them to spread the gospel also? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We follow Jesus' example, and in that example, we reciprocate that relationship by training someone else to share the gospel, to do the same thing. That's how the gospel is spread from generation to generation to generation. The Bible clearly explains the importance of passing the gospel on in multiple areas. In other words, who are you passing the baton to? Who is your disciple? Who is the person that, when you're gone, is going to pick up the torch of what you were doing for the kingdom? Train your replacement. We've been to a lot of churches, and I can tell you, churches that don't prioritize the next generation are doing a disservice to the gospel. Because the church is larger than what happens in this building. The church is larger than what happens in, in young adults or what happens in, in abundant life or whatever, whatever group you're a part of. The church is bigger than that. We have to make sure that the church is still here when Jesus decides to come back. 
And as human beings, we're selfish, right? I'm a, I'm selfish sometimes. We all have this tendency to want things for ourselves, okay? And what that does is that takes the intentionality out of discipleship because I might have to get up at 3 a.m. and talk to somebody on the phone when they're having a hard time, but I, I would rather sleep, right? I heard some of you laugh. Some of you guys are those late sleepers, right? Or I mean, I might need to give somebody some money to help them out in order to get them past something. But, you know, I have things I would like to spend my money on. Discipleship requires a sacrifice every time. And so if we're not careful and we don't spread the gospel to the next generation, what's going to happen is the church is going to become something that it was never meant to be. This has happened in the past, and it's also happening right now. You in Just in Springfield, you can throw a rock and hit four churches that all have a different belief, and not all of them are biblical. So if we don't pass the gospel to the next generation, the church is going to become something that's so distorted that it can't be recognized. The Bible specifically talks about this. Let's see if I can work this thing. In Judges 2.10, it says, After the whole generation had been gathered up to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Let's slow this down. We know the stories in Joshua through Judges where the Israelites are falling away from God and they're worshiping idols and they're doing all these things. They don't even remember what God had done. God had delivered them, all of these things, all the miracles. Nobody shared that. And so now you have a a generation of Israelites who are God's chosen people that don't even know who he is. We do the same thing. We have failed in some aspects to spread the gospel to the next generation. The Bible documents how the Israelites have done this. So I want you to think about this. A generation, depending on which expert you ask, is only 30 to 35 years. So basically what this scripture says is in 30 to 35 years, the Israelites completely forgot who God was. That's how quickly things can change if we don't share the gospel with the next generation. And so I'm going to be in Psalm 78, verse 1 through 8. And in this scripture, the psalmist specifically talks about sharing the gospel with the next generation. And not only does he talk about it, he gives us very specific guidelines on how to do it. So this scripture answers four questions. Who is the next generation? What we should share with the next generation? why we should do it, and how we should do it. Okay? And so I'm just going to read this. Um, It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden hidden things from old, things we have heard and and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. 
He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the laws in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they shall not depart from it. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. They would not put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. So the first question that we're going to answer here is, who is the next generation? I want you to notice that in this scripture, he actually describes four generations, fathers and mothers. Okay, so parents, children, that's two, their unborn children, and then their children. What he's saying here is that the gospel was meant to be passed down. It's a legacy. The gospel is our legacy in Christ that is meant to be passed down from one generation to another. Right? And we think passing that down to your children, but I've got news for you. There are a lot of children out there that don't have mothers and fathers. There are lots of children out there that don't have someone who will share the gospel with them. You know, I was an athlete in high school. I know you can't tell it by looking at me now, but um, I was I was a pretty good athlete. I played four sports. You know, I practiced. And part of playing sports is always this, this um, concept of who's next. If I go down, Who's going to take over my role? If pastor goes down, who's picking up the ball? Right? If someone goes down, who's picking that up? Who who are you training to be your replacement? Who's your backup? This is increasingly important in a society where fewer and fewer children have people to share the gospel with them that don't have those parents, that don't have those mentors. And, okay, if you are younger than 35, I want you to raise your hand. If you're younger than 35, okay, you are the next generation. If you're older than 35, I want you to raise your hand. I'm sorry, I'm with you. You are the older generation, okay? I hate to deliver bad mood. Don't feel bad. I'm with you. I I no longer qualify for young adults. Christy and I already had this discussion. Okay. If you are over 35, it is your responsibility to make sure that the next generation understands the gospel and assists in spreading it. Okay. If you're over 35, I'm going to talk specifically to you for a second. I get it. The younger generation is kind of difficult. Okay. Hey, I I love the next generation. I'm a we're children's pastors, we're youth pastors. I love the next generation, but they're difficult, right? We all know the complaints of the next for the next generation. They need more patience. They want everything and they want it right now, right? I see lots of head. I hear your marbles rolling, right? They feel entitled. They we should just give it to them because they deserve it, right? Participation trophies and all that, right? They don't work very hard, right? They, they they want to be the top dog right now. They don't want to work their way up. I could go on and on and on, okay? But I will tell you this. 
It's the older generation's fault that they're like that. Those traits are trained from the generation before them. I'll give you the perfect example. I'm, I'm generation X, okay? I was raised in a time where divorce first became really popular and you had lots of latchkey kids. If you don't know what that means, that means that when your parents sent you to school, I was raised by a single father. When my dad sent me to school, we had a house key hanging around our neck on a little lanyard. And when I got home, I opened the door and I took, you know, me and my sister kind of took care of ourselves until dad got home. Right? Now, as I became a parent, I, my thought was I never, ever want that to happen to my kid. I don't want my kid to have to take care of themselves. So guess what? Then you get the helicopter parent. Right? I don't ever want anything bad to happen to my kid. So not only do I constantly hover over them making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to, but I don't ever let them make their own mistakes because I don't want them to hurt like I did, right? So, yes, there are issues with this next generation, but those come from our faults. I'll, even, I'll give you another example. We'll go even older than that, okay? Everybody remember the Great Depression? Any of you guys ever remember your parents washing the tinfoil? Uh, I got some hands. Right? That was because I didn't know when I was going to have tinfoil again. So guess what? My guess is when you were first out on your own, you washed tinfoil. Correct? Right? All of those traits are passed down from the older generation. They are learned from the older generation. So here's the problem we run into. The older generation starts telling the younger generation, you're doing this wrong. You need to do this the way I did this. Telling the new, next generation to do things the way that the older generation did it doesn't make sense. How many of you guys remember the rotary phone? Yes, the rotary phone works. Yes, it will still make a phone call. Is it the most efficient way to do it? No. Right? I was in the car with uh, my brother-in-law, Jake, one time. And he said, well, you drive. And he literally made every phone call and never pushed the button. He was like, call so-and-so. Call so-and-so. I'm like, dude, will you shut up? Right? So should we go to the younger generation and say, you know what? I know these smartphones are out there, but, hey, we did it with the rotary phone, so you should have a rotary phone in your house. That doesn't make sense. This next generation can reach more people in 10 seconds than I could ever, ever have thought of reaching. You know, Quinlan's got a couple music videos on YouTube. She's already got 1,500 views. And it took like two weeks. Should we tell Quinlan, don't do that? Right? It doesn't make sense for us to tell them to do it the way we did it because everything changes. We, we, we get stronger and better as time goes on. We shouldn't handcuff them by expecting them to do things the way we do things, right? But there is a responsibility there, right? I'm, look, I don't, I do Facebook out of like necessity for ministry, but I don't have Twitter grams or whatever, what are they called? I don't do that, okay? But that doesn't mean 
that that's not an effective resource for the next generation, right? I shouldn't tell the next generation, hey, don't use this because I have no idea how to work it. What we have to do is we have to teach them how do you use that in a way that it glorifies God. Okay? The gospel is to be passed to the next generation. All right, the second question that this answers is what must we teach the next generation? Verse 5 says he established a statute. The word statute means law. In this time, the law was the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible. So this question, this question of what you should teach them is really easy. This is the easiest question to answer. It's the inspired word of God. The Torah was the inspired word of God at the time. In Deuteronomy, it says, strap this thing to your forehead, and everywhere, everywhere you go, you should be talking about the gospel with your children. It says that for a reason, because the gospel is meant to be passed down. We need to be passing down the statutes and what God demands of us as a result of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Because Christianity comes with responsibility. That's the part we miss a lot. We get, we, we get somebody converted and saved, and then we don't ever tell them, now you have a part in this. So what happens is they do what's modeled. They come into the church, they sit down on the pew, they listen to the sermon, they leave on, on Sunday um, afternoon to eat lunch, and they go home, and that's the extent of their Christianity. It's because nobody disciples them, how do you assist us in this mission? The great thing about what you should teach them and teaching them about the inspired Word of God is the Word of God never changes. Once you know what's in there, you know what you should be teaching. This book hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. I don't think it's going to change next week. All we got to do is know what is in here and, sh- and teach what it says. So now we're going to get into a couple of the more complicated questions. So this next one, I have 54 points on why we should teach the next generation. I'm kidding. I'm not 54. Okay, calm down. I'm almost done. So why should we reach the next generation? It's right there clearly in verse 6 through 8. I call these the so that's because it says so that, so that, so that. So let's go with the first one. Verse 6, it says so that they might know God and tr- through his word. One of the ways you build relationship with God is knowing what he wants from you. What is he saying to you? And you do that through the word. So we need to teach them the word so that they will know who God is. So we don't fall into the trap that the Israelites fell into where all of the sudden the next generation has no idea who God is or what he's done for us. So first... Verse 6, so that they might know God through his word. Verse 7 says, so that they might trust in him. So you got to know who he is, and then you have to trust him. You know, this young man on the front row, I'm going to use him as an example. He's walking out right now. See the little guy? I waved to him this morning, and I thought he was going to cry. You want to know why? He didn't know who I was, and he didn't trust me. Yeah, and it could have been my shirt. I'm trying to hold off the bad weather here. 
Okay? The next generation has to know who God is so that they can trust him. And they have to trust him so that in verse 8 it says, so that they would obey him. Well, it doesn't say that. It actually says that so that they won't become stubborn and rebellious. So I want you to think about any relationship you've ever had. You have to know the person. You have to trust them before you take orders from them. Right? Even in the military, they take orders, but they spend all of this time, you're in your unit, you're building relationships with people, and you got to know who your commanding officer is and all these things. Every, you got to trust who is giving the orders. If you don't trust who God is, why would you obey any of his commands? These verses are in this very specific order for a reason. Because that's the way relationship is built. Relationship is built by knowing, then trusting, and then I'll do what you tell me. Because I trust you. We have to bring up faithful followers because in Matthew 28, 19, it doesn't say go into all the world and make converts. It says go into all the world and make disciples. And this, this discipleship is going to take intentional effort. And so you're going to have to know why are you doing it so that they'll know God, so that they'll trust him, and so that they'll obey his word. And then the next one, so how do you do this, right? How do you do this with this next generation that has all this technology and all these things? It's, it's actually, it's not rocket science. It's really simple. So the first is verse 4. It says, tell the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. Raise your hand in here if God has done something in your life that you like. I didn't deserve it. It shouldn't have happened. I don't even know how it happened, right? You too have something to share with the next generation. This verse says that share the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. What has God done for you? Tell somebody about it. Then we get to verse 5 and it says, talks about the testimony and the law. Teach the next generation what God requires. What am I, now that I am a Christian, what am I supposed to do with this information? What do I do now? Right? You go and share it with somebody else. That's what God requires. All right. And then this next one is not going to be popular. Verse 8 talks about how their hearts were not loyal to God. What we need, how you teach the next generation is you need to teach them and warn them against what is sin. We don't hear a lot of people preach against sin anymore because it hurts people's feelings sometimes. Right? But guess what? If you don't teach the next generation what is sin, you can't get upset with them when they commit a sin and they had no idea it was a sin. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. If nobody tells you what sin is and you go out and you do something, there is this innate ability to distinguish right from wrong, but there's also sin, right? You you can love whoever you want to love. That's not true. 
right? It's not true. The Bible says it's not true. But there are a lot of people that think it's okay because nobody's told them, hey, that's a sin. And God doesn't rank sin. There's not one that's worse than the other. They all separate you from God. You tell a lie, you're separated from God. But a lot of times we don't tell people what sin are, what sin is. Sins are, sin is. There you go. Sorry, my southeast Missouri accent got the best of me right there. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus was in his ministry, he didn't lecture people. He didn't go to people and say, oh, you're sinning and this is what you should have done and you're not doing this right. You should do this this way. That's not what he did. He didn't. The only people in the Bible that Jesus lectured were the Pharisees. And the only reason he lectured them is because they should have known better. All Jesus did was met people where they were at and met their needs and loved them. That's all he did. Think about every story in the Bible where Jesus come up on someone and healed them. It was just compassion. He wasn't giving any big theological sermons and he wasn't a college professor and he, you know, he didn't do any of that. He told stories, parables that applied to their culture that they would understand. It wasn't a lecture, right? I've been in lots of college classes where I got lectured and I fell asleep in a lot of college classes where I got lectured. Okay? It's all about meeting people where they're at, meeting needs, reaching out to people in their situation, using their culture to teach them what's going on. But Jesus never excused their sin. Never. You know, in Jesus' ministry, People say, well, I'm scared to share because somebody's going to get mad at me. Jesus made a lot of people mad. Jesus made people so mad they wanted to kill him. So if I'm modeling my ministry after Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make some people mad. It is what it is, right? What's that old saying? You can get glad in the same pants you got mad in, right? So so here's the issue. The next generation is always being told, you're doing this wrong. It gets really old when every time you talk to somebody from the older generation, all they do is say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you should do it this way, you should do it this way. And then we we get upset because the next generation won't reach out to us. We say, you know what, the younger generation makes a mistake, but they're afraid to say anything because they don't want to get lectured. It's not about lecturing people. It's about meeting them where they're at, using their culture to teach them, love them, and meet their need. And then the older generation says, oh, why do y'all give up so easy? Well, I don't want to get lectured. I'm going through something. And then young people, here's the, here's the problem you have, and it's a problem for everybody. Satan's going to tell you you're the only person that's ever gone through that in your life. That is a lie. I guarantee you there is nothing you're going to go through that somebody in this room hasn't experienced probably multiple times. 
So younger generation, I'm telling you, reach out to the older generation. They have knowledge that's going to prevent you from making the mistakes that we made. So what happens is you get this giant miscommunication between the generations because I'm trying to avoid getting lectured. Oh, they're hard to deal with, but it's all of our own doing. The devil has us chasing our tails. We have forgotten through the years how to show grace. I have forgotten throughout the years how to show grace. You know, sometimes Quinlan will make a mistake, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know better than that. Why do you do that? And my first reaction is to jump to fix it, right? you got to realize people make mistakes. I made mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. The difference is showing grace. And instead of that lecturing and that you're doing this wrong and condemning, how do you bring them along? How do you pick them up? And as the older generation, we've got to be careful not to become that stubborn and rebellious generation that the psalmist refers to. I don't want to be the stubborn and rebellious generation that doesn't share the gospel, that doesn't show grace, that doesn't meet people where they're at. And so I'm going to do something a little different today. Chrissy, can you come up for me? The next generation needs to know that we are for them and not against them. That message is confused. They need to know that we love them and we want to see them succeed because they can succeed in a manner that we can't even fathom with everything they have available to them. But somebody has to train them how to do it. That It's not just going to come on its own. Somebody's got to teach them what the gospel is. What does it say? What is required of you? What is the responsibility? The older generation needs to come alongside them in their failings, in their struggles. Your young generation, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. It's going to happen. And some of them are going to be bigger than others. But the older generation needs to come alongside them and pick them up and keep them moving towards God. You've got to keep them moving forward. It's easy for us to forget that. And it all requires from the older generation and the younger generation is a little intentionality. Being intentional. Younger generation, be intentional about reaching out and finding a mentor. Older generation, be intentional about pouring into the younger generation. I want to make disciples, not converts. Conversion is great, and that's awesome, but God needs an army. It can't just be me or a pastor or one person going out and doing it. And my guess is, for the most part, we have a room full of converts. Right? And some of you have been discipled, and now it's your turn to disciple someone else. So we're going to do something a little different. If you are younger than 35, I want you to come to the front. If you're younger than 35, 
You're young. You can hurry up. No, I'm kidding. If you're still seated, you're with me. You're the older generation. I want you to look into the eyes of these guys because guess what? This is the future of the church. This is the future generation. This is the future future missionary. This is the future senior pastor. This is the who knows what God's going to have. Missionaries, whatever. God has a plan for each individual up here. And I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to be awesome because God planned it. And so here's what I want you to do. If you're the older generation, we're going to start discipleship right now. I want, if you're from the older generation, you have the ability, I want you to come to the front and I want you to find someone from this younger generation to pray for and make sure every person up here has somebody praying for them. Okay? So if you would, I want the older generation, you guys come on up and find somebody to pray for right now.